0: Reflect back on a year ago, you know, this place would have been filled with people and um, I was just really hit hard with this image of people gathering to worship and remembering on many occasions Rob Ballanty at the back swaying with a baby in his arms and uh, and I was just overwhelmed now in worship thinking about the glory of God and the being in God's tangible presence where we do believe and know that Rob is. And so, yeah, I just want to thank the worship band. I want to thank Nick for doing a, a fantastic job this morning in leading us. But listen, we are um, we're currently in this season of Advent. We are preaching through a, a series or a topical series which is themed Servant, Savior, and Sovereign. And we started with that Three Sundays ago, when Glenn preached the first message, and that was focused on the first candle that was lit, and the first candle that was lit for the season of Advent focused on this theme of hope. And two Sundays ago, when Glenn had preached on that, he specifically focused on the hope that was given by God from the very start of creation. From the very start in the Garden of Eden, when humans decided to rebel against God and sin entered the world and evil entered the world, God is the one who first created hope. He is the one who didn't sit back and say, oh, what a mess now, but He is the one who preached the first gospel message, the first good news, the first, what is the Greek term, this one working? Okay. Let's try that again. Sorry, we just lost the. Uh My mic there. I'm just gonna quickly recap what I said there. Uh, the first message of Advent two Sundays ago was focused on hope. And Glenn was preaching on the fact that you know God was the first one that in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion, and their choice to say, We wanna decide for ourselves what is good and evil, to eat off the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents morality. God didn't sit back, God didn't say, you know, what a mess, there's, there's no solution for this, but He's the first one who preached the good news that the offspring of Adam and Eve would come, and it is said that He will crush Satan's head, He will demolish, demolish the stronghold, the, the curse that was brought upon this earth and upon humans, He was going to destroy the power of death and of Satan. And the main idea with that first focus was that God is faithful to fulfill His promises. His promises are trustworthy. And that was the hope that was created, not just in Genesis 3, but for centuries after that, God sent prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, that came bringing this message of hope, this message that there would one day come a Savior who would be a servant and who would be a king. Last week, the candle that was lit was for faith. And we, we weren't able to go into that because of our circumstances, uh, the sudden passing of Rob. But just to summarize that, what the faith is all about is, is to look at the hope that God had given, and how that gives faith, how that had given faith to God's people over millennia to trust that he was going to fulfill that promise. That's the main idea. Uh, The Apostle Paul put it this way, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, in Hebrews 11 verse 1. And then he also says in Romans 10 verse 16, faith comes through hearing the word and hearing the word of Christ. And that is what faith is about. Faith comes through the hope that is given and through the word of God. But this week our theme is joy. The candle that was lit and what we saw Jay and Lydia do with Jean, this is now looking at the joy that comes in the fulfillment of God's promises, in the fulfillment of that hope, and through faith. And it's about this notion of delayed gratification, of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then eventually the promise comes to fruition. I'd like to quickly share just how I relate to this in my own life. To this notion of waiting and and wrestling in prayer and and trusting God for His promises, um, John and I will be married 12 years, December 20th. This, you know, in a week's time. And uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, we've known each other. How long has it now been? 18 years. We'll 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 know each other 18 years this year. And. When we got married we were married for a couple of years didn't have kids and you know then we had this desire okay we, we want to have a family and and we of course prayed prayed with people and we received very encouraging words from people promises from God prophetic promises about our children and we received those messages and then we thought oh man okay it's going to be this is going to be easy okay and uh, and of course The hope was generated through these promises, and we had faith. And then we know the Bible teaches uh, faith without works is dead. So we did what we had to do, right? And that was great. But I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it was great. And then um, the first year went by, (laughs) the first year went by, and didn't happen. But you know what? We were still joyful. We're like, yeah, God has promised. We'll just do what He has created us to do. And the second year came, didn't happen. You start doubting, you start wondering, and third year came, no baby, no good news, and then it turned into sorrow and, and remorse and doubt and, and by the fourth year wrestling with God and, and fighting with God and crying before God and asking questions where where are these promises? How how is it? that they were made, but we have not seen this happen, and, and so many choices that we had to make, are we going to you know, try and find help through medicine and, and science, and, and we just sense God say, no, trust me, and then, miraculously, all of a sudden, the joy with that news that I'm pregnant, well, Jean was pregnant, not me, but Jean was pregnant, and then the joy of, okay, now it's, again, delayed gratification. There's a period of time in preparation in the coming, the advent of our firstborn child, Miriam. And so 40 weeks in preparing for the child's arrival. And I'm, I'm going to put that up. And then this happens. This is, this is what it looked like. There we go. Miriam arrived. Almost three years ago now, and look at that face. I, you know, I, with both my children, I didn't really cry when they were born, but I was overjoyed. When they came out, when Miriam came out, I just felt God say, you got to scream out her name. She's got to know that she's arrived. And, and in the theater, the, the doctors got her out, and I was like, Miriam! What a fantastic occasion. And, and I share that message or that picture there because that is what Advent is. It is looking upon this Christmas story of the arrival of Jesus Christ, servant, savior, and sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords. But not just only that, that he arrived and was born, but that he grew up, that he lived this perfect sinless life and died on the cross for the sins of humanity and rose again. That is the Christmas message. And so we're going to look at this message again through Luke 2, verses 1 to 14. It's the same text that um, Jay and Lydia read from. We're going to look at it again. And then we're going to unpack and see what God asked for us this morning. But before I read, let's just uh, uh, pray. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for the hope that you had spoken millennia ago and the faith that we can put in in that hope and those promises. And Lord, that we can now today focus on the joy of the fulfillment of it. Uh, Father, I just come in your name and ask for your help. I, I pray and ask Holy Spirit, come and speak. We are listening. Come and empower us. Come and illuminate to us your word Father, bring a fresh revelation of your grace and your mercy and in this specific time, this Christmas story, and how desperately we need your joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Luke 2, verses 1 to 14. No, I'm lying. It's verses 8 to is it verses 8 to 19? I think I was mistaken there. I'm going to start reading from verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you... Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Excuse me. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Your message title this morning is good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And we're going to unpack this good news of great joy and the joy that comes with it by focusing on three questions. What kind of joy is this? How do I get this joy? And do I need this joy? The first one, what kind of joy is this? I'd like to start by once again just telling a quick little story, illustration of something that happened this week. I was here at the ledge on Thursday preparing for this message upstairs. And just before lunchtime, I decided to go get a haircut, ran over the street to the barber, Tony. And I sat down there in Tony's chair And Tony was having a bit of uh, his lunch before he was cutting by, and I asked him, what are you eating? And he's like, French fries. And I'm like, oh, poutine. He said, no, it's just French fries. It's the best French fries. It's from Chef Big D's, just here two stores away. And in that chair, I all of a sudden, what came to my mind was a childhood memory of how we used to, as kids, um, either with our family, or sometimes with friends, or before we played a cricket match, had someone bring along like a, a bunch of f- french fries, we didn't call it french fries, we called it slop chips, okay, it's literally translated sloppy chips, because it's so fatty, and it, it's drenched in oil, but it's fantastic, it's it's covered in a newspaper, and then together with it, you've got the freshest white bread, and thick butter spread on it and together with it coca-cola and we would munch this down we would just man it was fantastic and it gave us tremendous joy it was a tasty thing for us as kids and I was transported back to that idea and I kid you not I felt after that haircut I had to go and experience that joy again I wanted to experience that that feeling again and so I got the French fries, I came back here, and the guys were laughing. at. I just had a big box of French fries, and I asked for two slices of, of fresh bread. I put thick butter on, I got mayonnaise, some hot sauce, and I didn't have the Coca-Cola. So I thought, I need the Coca-Cola, I need to, this, it needs to be the whole picture. So I went upstairs, left the French fries there, ran to the dollar store, got a can of Coke, came back, sanitized it, went upstairs, and I was ready. And I was looking at this meal, and I thought, man, this is going to transport me back to those days. What great happiness. It was like that Ratatouille movie. Do you remember that animation movie with that food critic that came to that restaurant where the chef was actually a mouse or a rat, and he's tasting this food. And when he, when he tastes it, he, he starts tearing up because it transports him back to his childhood days. And I ate the French fries, and I ate the bread, and I drank the Coke. And uh, <laughs> it overpromised and under-delivered, okay? I felt over-indulged in carbohydrates. It did not fulfill. The joy was not the same. It was not the same. Why do I share this image with you? Because you see, these shepherds, they were in the field, and they experienced something here. They experienced an angel appearing to them, the supernatural, heaven invading earth. And we would just assume, you know, if I were to meet an angel and he tells me a message, of course I'm going to be fearful, but just because it's supernatural, I think I would be Compelled to kind of like be like, yeah, this this is definitely this this is supernatural. It must be of God. And I looked at this and I asked the question: But did the shepherds listen, or did they react or respond in faith to the message of the angel because of the fact that it was a supernatural encounter? Just because it's an angel. And I believe it is not because of that, but it is because of this. It is a message of great joy, the good news of great joy, because when they heard this message that the angel was telling them that, listen, this will be a sign for you. You are going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. This would immediately take them back to the promise that God had made in his word. And it's not a taking back to a joyous moment that's subjective, like my french fries slop chip moment. Because mine was very subjective. It was subjectively true, if I really thought about it, that when I was a child, this was really fantastic. But when I tried to eat the same food 20, 25 years after that, I realized that it was subjective. It was not necessarily true at all times or in all circumstances, it overpromised, underdelivered. But these shepherds were grounded in the truth. They listened to the angel, but they heard this objective truth—the fulfillment of a promise. They could not just trust the fact that it was an angel, and the apostle Paul says the same thing in Galatians one eight. Listen to this. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So these shepherds listened to the message and it corresponded with what God had promised from the start over millennia through his nation, through his people, Israel and that is what propelled them then to say hey we got to go check this out because the message responded with prophecies that had been given for thousands of years and just over 700 years before this occurrence there are two specific prophecies out of Isaiah the first one Isaiah 7 verse 14 the It says there, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, it's joy that came, and the joy is this, that it's objectively true. It is transcendent. It is joy that was going to come based on fact, historicity. So the main idea out of this question, what is this joy? What kind of joy is this? I want to submit to you that this great joy... This good news of great joy is a Christian joy that is rooted in truth. It's not rooted in subjective feelings. It's not rooted in what culture says. It's not rooted in what the political agendas are of the day but rooted in the truth and the promise of God, the absolute truth promise. The question this morning is, do you have joy? And if you do, what is the root of that joy? Because there is a distinction between joy and happiness. The Christian joy is a joy that is, as I said, objectively true and transcendent. Doesn't mean that You're always just joyful, but it means there is a constant joy. There is a constant fact of truth that is the main criteria for why you live and what empowers you to live. And it is not dependent on whether or not you are poor or rich in good health. Or whether or not you are satisfied with the way that you have been made, your sexuality, or where you live, geographical factors, it is not dependent on that. Because those things do change, circumstances change, life changes. Life throws out curveballs. And it's only God's absolute truth, objective truth of His fulfillment of His promises and His love, His great love for people that gives that joy. Great. Joy can only be experienced and sustained in that way. There is no other fulfillment. There's no other joy that compares. Do you have that joy today? That's the first question. If your answer is yes, that's fantastic. But I do want to submit to you, you've got to make sure that it is the Christian joy. Because you might be sitting here or you're listening you say, but Rudy, I've been in church my whole life, man. Like I've been with God's people forever. Well, you also got to investigate your heart. You've also got to ensure that the joy that you have is rooted in God's truth. And so for that, I want to look at, again, what the source is of this truth of God, and that is through the question of how do I get this great joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says the following, it says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You see, according to the Bible... This complete fullness of joy can only be experienced in God's presence. And that is the Christmas story, of course. This is where this joy comes from. It is God's presence, Emmanuel, God with us, that brings this joy. It is the the promise that was fulfilled that God came to seek us. God would stoop down from His throne in heaven to become one of us. To live like one of us. And to come and show the Father's heart to people. So that they could come and see, Ah, this this is our God. This is who God is. This is His heart for people to be reconciled back to Him. You see, the, the Christmas story is that The reason why Jesus came was to reestablish, to come and heal the broken relationship between man and God. To come and bring his presence back in. That is how God became flesh. Now, you might listen to this and say, okay, but... How do I get the presence of God? Jesus isn't with us anymore. He's physically not here. History tells us that he lived and died, was in the grave for three days, and he rose again, ascended into heaven. How do we get his presence? Well, if we look at the shepherd's response at that stage, they believed. So they believed the message. They went to go and investigate Whether this was true, they found Mary and Joseph. So they believed and trusted the truth and the word of God and the promises. But fast forward 33 years after that event, the penultimate fulfillment of God's presence happened at Pentecost, happened in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and this was after Jesus now lived, he ministered, he performed miracles, he proclaimed the good news of the gospel, he was killed for it, rose, ascended into heaven, and then his presence available now through the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verses 1 to 4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven. So it's very similar. From heaven, there was an angel that appeared to the shepherds. Year now from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues As a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God's Spirit, His presence, poured out to those who believed the message. How do you receive this joy? Through His presence then? Through His Holy Spirit. It's through His Spirit. That is what the Christmas story is about. Not that Jesus would come and stay a little baby in the manger and stay there for millennia through church history and through tradition. Not that he would just be and arrive once a year in your living room with a Christmas tree and people would be, oh, oh, how sweet little Jesus. But no, that he grew up and that he fulfilled God's calling on His life to bring His presence. And what is this promise that we have? How can we receive His Spirit? Jesus said this in Luke 11 verse 13, If you then who are evil, speaking to the people and speaking to His disciples, if you you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so, under this point, how do I receive this joy? How do I receive His presence then in His Holy Spirit? Practically, I want to use ask in an acronym form, and I want to do the following and say that this is what it looks like to ask For God's joy through his presence in your life. A. Acknowledge. S. To see. K. To know. Acknowledge, first of all, Jesus as God's son and chosen servant born as a human who grew up and became a servant by dying on the cross for our sins. Who took the punishment we deserved on Himself in order that we might be able to experience His tangible presence by being declared righteous and holy and blameless. That's the first step in asking for the Holy Spirit. A, acknowledge that. Acknowledge it. This will lead you to see... When you do that, when you, when you humble yourself and you, you acknowledge that, it will lead the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to make your spirit alive, to see Jesus Christ, not just as, as I said, little baby Jesus, but to understand that He grew up to be the Savior of the world and that He saved us from the penalty of sin and the wrath of God. So acknowledging, leading to seeing, and then finally, know. Knowing. Leading to know Jesus as the Christ and Messiah. In other words, sovereign, the anointed king of your life. The one who has total control. The one who is totally in authority. And that is the promise. That's the promise of Jesus. That is where the source of joy lies. He put it this way in John 4 verse 10, when he had his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus tells this woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God, in other words, if you knew the grace that God is bringing to the earth and is brought through me, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Living water, that joy and presence is living water that God gives us the source through. Jesus says it is a well, it wells up to everlasting life. I want to illustrate this with a story again, practical story. In 2016, John and I had the privilege to travel to Israel, and one of our trips, day trips there, we traveled to the Jordan River as we were making our way down to the Dead Sea, and specifically also stopping in, in the area called Engedi, where King David hid from King Saul. And on our way there, at the Jordan River, we stopped where supposedly Jesus was baptized. It cannot be verified exactly if that's the, the, the spot, but it's a bit of a tourist trap, okay? And so there's like a stage, and there's seats, and people come there to be baptized. And I was sitting there, and I saw a group of women. I was guessing, I guess they were nuns that were dressed Uh, with a specific uh, attire that looked like they were nuns and I watched how they went into the Jordan River and they performed this ritual where they they dunked themselves they 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 went down I counted maybe seven times in the water under the water and up and down and up and down up and down and I thought man this is amazing look at these people what are they doing (laughs) but I felt God say to me well look as they come out of the river look at their faces was miserable. (laughs) There was was no joy. I was like, what is this? (laughs) And maybe it's because of the fact the Jordan River is is dirty. It's just not not the greatest river. It's not the Mamquam. It's not Squamish. And I felt God say, okay, I'm going to teach you something here today. And so we drove with a group. We went to Ngedi, and there we hiked, did a long hike. It was a warm day, 35 degrees. And we were hiked up to one point where there was like a small waterfall, and there were tons of people and kids, and and I sat there, and I watched how people were tired and weary, and, and it's hot, but they went, and they stood under this waterfall, and as soon as the water crashed over them, great yelling of joy, Wah! you know, it's cold, it's like when you dunk yourself here in the river in the summer, and initially I was like, oh man, do I want to do this? And then I just seen God say, go. And this was the result. I went and I stood under the water and I was tired. It was hot. And, and as soon as it hit me, I was like, man, this is amazing. Right, like Just great joy, that relief. And after that, I was reflecting in writing in my journal, and I just sent God say, Rudy, religion brings death and misery, no joy. If it depends on you to perform rituals and count a specific number of times that you have to go do something to receive joy, as you saw at the Jordan River, that's not where the joy lies. Your joy is only found in the living water. Are you filled? Are you filled every day? And that is what I want to share with you under this question of how to receive this joy. The Holy Spirit can be in you to give you that never ending joy, that well that springs up. Do you have that joy? I want to conclude with a third and last point. Do I need this joy? Because you might ask or say, listen, Rudy, so what, man? I can create my own joy. I'm pretty happy with my subjective truth. I'm pretty happy with what I hear mainstream media or social media or Whatever media, alternative media that I listen to, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with the political outcomes that have happened in 2020. And even though it was in a, a, a horrific year, I'm pretty happy because you know what? My stocks have done well. Financially, I'm doing good. I'm happy with where I'm at. And I might respond to that to say, you know, that's true. It's a good question. Do you need this joy? And you might ask, but, you know, if I don't receive this joy, I don't have it, what's going to happen to me? And it almost sounds like that Neo Anderson moment in the movie Matrix where Morpheus gives him the choice, the blue pill or the red pill. And he asks Morpheus, what's going to happen to me if I don't take this other pill, the red pill? He says, you're going to take the blue pill and you will wake up again. Nothing will happen. You will be stuck in the matrix. And I would respond to someone like that with that question. That's, wh- that's what will happen. Nothing will happen. Absolutely nothing will change in your life. For the moment. But you've got absolutely no guarantee that life's going to carry on the way that it has been in your in your life. You might carry on in this way of living for yourself and for your family or for your children or your hobbies your health, your wealth, your pleasures you can fill in the blank. You might even be happy or have a sense of joy through moral endeavors. You might even think that, you know what, I'm being a good person. I recycle. I support the space program that we go to Mars because we need a plan B. This planet is going down. You might even think that your works by feeding the poor is what's going to sustain you and give you happiness You might even become an activist and you might fight for the rights of those who are marginalized. And you might even have an influence to have new laws put in place so that people can finally be acknowledged and given the right to marry who they want to marry or be in relationship with who they want to be. You might even live another 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Who knows? But here's the fact, and this is something that hits home for us as a church this week. Here is the fact, and it is the hard truth. And it doesn't give me great joy to, to really share this because I know it is hard, but it is the truth. All of us will face death eventually. All of us will die. All of us whether it is 80 years from now or whether it is today, have to face the reality and the fact of mortality. And then, the question is what then? I was talking with a, a neighbor of mine about this. I, w- I had the privilege to share my testimony with him and, and I'd asked him, you know, what do you find, what is your purpose in life? And he replied, you know, I've, it's this, it's it's being with my children, this is everything in my wife, and I have to enjoy it to the full because every time I think of me dying, I get this cold misery feeling of nothingness over me, and it dreads me to think that I will then be nothing. There's nothing because these worldview was atheistic, agnostic. And my question is, why would you want to choose that over this joy? Why would you want to sit in that misery if history has shown us who joy is? He's a person. Jesus Christ. And He wants to live in you.